Yeah, I think the the thing we often say about personas is they're a model of how we think that group of people always act. Yes. And what we know from Jobs We Done is people are dynamic. People make decisions um, because of contexts that are in their lives all the time. Yep. So yes, I can over I can over index to being somebody that eats organic. Yep. Uh, limits my meat quantity to a certain amount of time, a, a, a certain amount over the week. You're talking about things, yourself and all those things, but there are going to be times where I don't fit that. Yep. When it we're on the road, for example, could be on the road. It could be when I'm with, with other people that don't eat the same way I do. Yep. We make compromises or we do things that are out of our behavior, are out of our core behavior a lot. Welcome to the Circuit Breaker Podcast, where we challenge the status quo of innovation and new product development. We'll talk about tools and skills and methodologies used to build better products and make you a better consumer. I'm Bob Besta, and I'm the co-founder of the Rewired Group, and I'm one of your co-hosts. And we're joined by Greg Engel, who is my co-founder and the chief Bob interpreter. Join us now as we trip the circuit and give you time to reset, reorganize, and recharge your brain to build better products. All right, Bob. So today I want to tackle the topic. Uh, we talked a little bit in past uh, podcasts about supply and demand and, and that world, world view of that. But I want to dive into the tool we use yeah. to find demand. Mm-hmm. And that, to- that tool is jobs to be done. As somebody that's... Finally, we get to talk about this. As somebody that was uh, an architect of it, a pioneer of it, yeah. uh, that you were, I, I just want to get your ideas of kind of what it was or what it is, yeah, and how it's used, and those types of things we're going to do today. Do we want to tap into where it came from, or we don't want to touch that one yet? Well, we'll we'll see how your mind works. <laughs> I kind of know how the story is going to go, but we'll we'll see. Okay. So, give a little bit of of from your perspective. Yep. What is jobs to be done? So, jobs to be done is really about understanding the it's, so let's break it down jobs and it's then to be done right so it's what are the people going to do next and so how do we actually st- so it's not about the job they do now it's about what the job is in the future that they're actually trying to get done so to me that as 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 its very foundation is about kind of innovation right so how do we build what's next and most people can't tell you what's next, right? They, they, to be honest, they can only spout what they know, talk about the problem that they have, um, and 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 in some cases, tell you why something would work, or you know, they might have a solution, but they'll tell you what they don't want more than what they want, and and so you start to realize that when you when you go to develop a product, you, you need details that typically most marketing research doesn't get. Right, which is, you know, they'll get the attributes and they'll they'll almost create kind of a, you know, who's the person, right? Let's build a persona around somebody. But the reality is that 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 doesn't tell me why they do it. A job is really about basically the progress that somebody's trying to make in a very specific circumstance and understanding the outcomes that they're seeking and the trade-offs they're willing to make. So give us a little bit of 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 what it means to do jobs done to you. Like, uh, so I get it, it's progress. Yeah. I, I get that part of it, but what else does it tell us to do? How does it help us? Yeah. Why do it? So 
Well, the first thing is, is what, what I realized is, is almost as somebody who's dyslexic, it's like, I can't read a report. And what I would realize is people would summarize what people would say, but it wouldn't actually carry what I would think is the intent or the meaning behind it. And so part of the process of actually uncovering jobs or, or discovering jobs, because we don't create them, uh, the, the consumer creates them, right? And it's understanding the context and understanding that outcome and being able to, to, what I would say, empirically do it as opposed to theoretically do it. Meaning we need to actually talk to people because most purchases have some angle of irrationality to it. And so part of this, and the other part is, um, when you when you look at a consumer from what I call the supply side, what we call the supply side, we assume symmetry. If they have this problem, they want this solution or this this outcome. So if it's like, boy, I'm really frustrated because it's 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 it takes too long. Okay, they want it faster, and it's like, no, they might they might want it. it's it's too slow, and it's like I want to do more. And so you start to realize there's lack of symmetry between it. And so trying to figure out what what progress people are tr- trying to make and how do they make that decision to say, today's the day I'm going to pick something new. That's what jobs is about. So when you, when you use the word progress yeah. in the context of jobs beyond, mm-hmm. what do you mean? So in, in, in this case, what I, <laughs> it's a good question. So, cause I use the word a lot, right? Um, but progress is, is that feeling that you've done better. That 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 you that what you were doing before or what you're doing now is not good enough, and that I know there's a better way. And so there's that that yearning to be better. And so in the inherent in the aspect of of progress, it's trying to actually understand what does better mean, and why now. And and what I what I often tell people is the way we define progress is through what the consumer is trying to do, and the only way to do that is to understand all the elements of a job to be done. Right. So it is the context. It is the desired outcomes. It is their pushes and pulls or anxieties and habits. It is the hiring, fri- firing, hiring and firing criteria. It's the cane or the, or the basic quality for each job because each job has different quality. Correct. Different definitions of, of quality, if you will. Right. So all of that is actually what progress means. Or, or, or that's right. Or a way in which for us to articulate what they mean by progress. Correct. That's so. Think of it as these are the ways in which we talk about what progress means for them. I often hear people say, "Oh, well, job to be done is my product has a job. This product does this job." Well, that's not really true, right? Because the consumer is the only one that can actually judge progress. Right. Well, and and I'll say in the early days. So in in the early days, we talked about. Uh, functions of things what's the function of something and we would talk about it as the job and so what's the job of this system what's the job of this product but the the product really doesn't have a job it's consumers who hire it for a job right and so it, it like if a if if a glass a glass sitting on the table with no interaction with consumers right it can do a lot of things but until it has people and context and desired outcomes we can't tell you what the function is <laughs> Because I can throw the glass at you, right? So, so I think what we're what we're talking about, we we use shortcuts too, like everybody, right? Yes. So we're using the word progress, and progress has a very deep meaning. Yes, it, it, we. I feel like we could go a whole podcast on just what is progress, right? So we want to look at the progress that people are trying to make, mm-hmm. and but you made a you said something interesting because you said something. Well, it's jobs to be done. It's what people are going to do. But then you said, well. People can't tell you what they're going to do. Right. So how do you find the job if people can't tell you? So 
I think the, the, the best way to think about predicting the future is you have to have some, some elements of the past because everything is a, is a derivative of, of the past and everything's built on the past. And so we're not actually trying to predict, um, we're trying to actually identify what are the critical elements, the dynamic, right? So you, you mentioned in a previous context that everything's dynamic and ultimately this is not about people, this is about people through time, right? And so part of it is if I can understand the kinds of things that have happened to people that cause them to think about doing something different, to basically uh, figure out you know, how to uh, describe it and then actually how to do it, we actually then have a pattern or a pattern language that we can actually start to say, like, if they did it this way, how do we actually figure out other people who are struggling this way and help more? So Clay and I would have the phrase around the N of one, right? Most people would say, well, no, we need a sample of a thousand people to tell us what's true. And what Clay and I would talk about was how do we actually study one thing and actually make sense of it and in the end of one, explain it. And ultimately, that helps us understand the patterns. And so it's it's analyze and then aggregate as opposed to aggregating and then analyzing. So if we said a product doesn't have a job, yes. right? People only have jobs. Only Even, have jobs. Co- companies don't have jobs. People, people right. have jobs. But then that gets confusing, right? Because if that's the case, then how do I, how do I know who to interview and what am I doing? Am I looking at segment like a, a, a segment or an industry? How, how do I... How do I rectify that? So in in math, there's the the difference between taking a mass of something and then segmenting it or dividing it up, and uh, and the aspect of starting with individual things and figuring out how to aggregate them together. Though the math sounds very similar, the the, the underlying principle is very different. And so part of this is actually being able to see the patterns by which people do things. All right, let me try to ask the question differently, because I think I, I I understand the. The answer there, but let me see. That's if I not can, the answer you want. So let me see if I can clarify right. this, my question. This is part of the banter. Let's keep keep going. So the so stop the, that answer. The question the question really is, um, if I'm going to go in the business of health clubs, yep, I'm going to open or my fit, own gym. a fitness center. I'm going to open my yep. own gym. Yep, and the gym doesn't have a job. Who do I go interview? Am I looking at just other gyms? Am I looking at uh, Peloton? Am I, who am I looking at? So at some point in time, if it, like uh, the way we would always start it would be as like, well, when you're up and running and you're really successful, what are people not going to be doing, right? Or what are they going to fire to basically say they're going to come here? And it could be other gyms, right? It could be, it could be getting off the couch. It could be, um, you know, there, there's a, uh, it could be that they, they want to lose weight. Like what? There's a whole bunch of different scenarios around it. And so the, the first way that we would start is to say, like, let's go talk to people who have basically gone from doing one thing to doing another. So it might be, let's go talk to people who lost weight. Let's go people to talk to people. Because here's the other thing is I wouldn't talk to people who just joined gyms. I want to talk to people who joined gyms and worked out, right, versus joining a gym and not working out. But what I think I hear you saying is you want to understand what a gym is. And a gym is many things to different people. Well, and the competitive set is very wide because, because uh, again, the, the objective of why somebody joins the gym is what's important, which is it could be that, uh, you know, the gym competes with uh, uh, diet. A gym competes with, um, you know, at, at some point uh, going to the bar because it's social, right? And so part of it is to realize what, what are the real things that cause them to say, today's the day I'm going to go to the gym 
And what are those underlying both what big hire, why would they join your gym? And then why do they come to the gym? And what when do they have, let's say, good workouts? And what does that look like? And when do they feel like they haven't made progress? And understanding it at what we call the big higher level and the little higher level. Right. So I think I think what we're 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 saying here is look, you need to understand what your competitive set is. And from, you, and you from need, the consumer perspective. From the consumer perspective, an interview on that. And I don't know if I'd go far as so far as to saying I'd interview people that went to a bar. A little bit off my thing, but I have to realize people will pick between me and a bar at some point. Maybe, maybe. And, right. But when I'm starting the business, I'm probably not going to go interview people that are going to a bar. No. Right. But I would I would want a vast difference of what what I think fitness is. Right. But so I might I might actually interview people that that picked up an app that helps them run a 5k. Right. Well, think think of something like Noom, right? Noom basically it, it took off during the pandemic, but the whole aspect was is beforehand was how many people want to go to the gym but can't. Right? And can I actually have something that's there when I need it? Right. And so that it's like the trainer I need when I when I when I actually need them as opposed to having to schedule everything and fit into their time. And so it's that there's a whole different aspect of where are those struggling moments. And out of it, when you see struggling moments, that's where you need to be innovating. Right. So we talked a lot about different things of this and, and we talk and we're talking kind of what what progress is, and we talked about what a job is as progress, and then we defined progress as the elements of a job to be done. Mm-hmm. Um but how is it useful? So I get all this information. What, what, what do I? What do I get? Do I? I have like a million data points now. Yeah. What do I do? I always, I always say an interview is, has a terabyte of data in it, right? And the thing is, is that it can be used in so many different ways, right? So first of all, you know, it can be used both uh, in product, right, to be able to understand the underlying uh, feature sets that you need to put into the product in order for people to have the big hire. You have to be able to understand, the, in some cases, the 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 new features you're going to develop because of the struggling moments that this that the app is actually creating, right? Every new innovation creates a, a different struggling moment, which requires then a second innovation, and so that's why the evolution of products is always happening, right? And so and so to me, it's about being able to understand it from a product side. The other part is from sales and marketing, right? To understand where does the first thought happen, how do we create the space in the brain? How do people talk about it as the problem and how do they talk about it as the outcomes they want? If we just speak features and benefits, what happens is most people don't even know the features and benefits they're looking for to begin with. And so we end up spouting them, but the thing is it doesn't resonate with the language, right? The, the other part you realize is there's this notion of resonance, which could be another podcast, but the whole aspect of like when you use the language of customers, the, 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 the words, it's almost like the words that there are in their head is what what makes them go like, oh, you know me, right? And so part of this is to actually be very focused on the language they use, not the language you you want to use, right? The 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 so marketing and in sales, basically, you know, we've we wrote the book Demand Side Sales, and and it really has helped people understand kind of how to get people ready and understand then what job are they in or what progress are they trying to make, and then where are they in the timeline, their buying timeline. To then, how do you help them make progress through that timeline? All right. So there's there's multiple places, all the way to, you know, st- st- strategy and and strategic alliances and 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 like when we did the moving, right? We we didn't want to be a moving company or a, 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 like a have a have the trucks and move people, but we knew that having that element as part of our offering 
in in the in in how we built houses and helped people move to our houses and move out of their old houses, that was an actually essential part. But we figured out how to make the right strategic alliances to do that. Yeah, I think jobs helps people because we 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 look at the jobs we done and we look at the clusters of people, mm-hmm. and the way we do it is it's not one thing that makes somebody move. No. It's it's a group of shared context shared outcomes that make up a cluster. Mm -hmm. So it actually makes it easier for me to make decisions when I take that pure demand and I look at my supply side, it actually makes it more clear where if I don't have that, that clarity of pure demand without the bias of my industry, of my business, of my capabilities, I'm able to see more opportunities when I bring it over to the supply side, because there are some groupings and I'm not trying to either titrate too high or too low on what I'm trying to hit, I'm actually hitting a group of people that is predictable behavior. Because they're ready. When giving given the right context and okay. outcomes that they want. I, that, that's right. And I think it gets back to how is this helpful? Well, this helps marketing actually realize how to actually help make people aware of the context they're in. Actually help create the context. Make 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 people actually hear the fact that like, all of a sudden they need something because at some point, like I didn't even know I struggled with that, but now that I know it, it actually causes me to have angst to do something. And there's there's a bunch of different consumer tools, uh, demand tools out there, consumer-centric tools out there, right? Yes. There's, there's Jowsy Dunn. Yep. There's Personas. Yep. There's um, segmentations. There, yeah, there's a need state segmentation. There's there's demographic segmentation. There's psychographic segment. Like you can go There's a on. lot. There's right? a lot. So how is this? How is jobs we done different than let's let's just go with personas? How's it different than personas? So and again, uh, and you you'll disagree with me on this, but I, I think the fact is that if you're doing nothing around the consumer and you and to do personas, personas is better than nothing, right? Because it at least helps you understand kind of the range and where you're trying to do. But personas don't one they don't take into account variation. Two is it's all correlative. It basically is an aggregation of basically a, a bunch of things put together. But when you try to go find that person or that persona, the fact is they don't exist. And so you end up engineering something to something that doesn't exist. The reason why personas are important, though, is that from a marketing perspective, I buy media that way. That's how they actually offer up where to put my ads. And, and so a lot of that work is having to do with kind of placement. So it's the, it's the exchange language between media and marketing. Right, but it's not enough for us in in the product development at a minimum, because at some point in time we need to know what causes them to do things, and we need to think about it's not just who they are, but what what's going on around them that actually make them make the decisions. And just because I'm a you know I'm a you know I, I work out all the time and I you know I eat healthy and I'm a vegan and all this other stuff, and then but there are moments in time where you know what I'm going to have some ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, and th- and so it's context that actually drives it more than than just people. Yeah, I think the the thing we s- often say about personas is they're a model of how we think that group of people always act. Yes. And what we know from jobs we done is people are dynamic. People make decisions um, because of contexts that are in their lives all the time. Yep. So yes, I can over I can over index to being somebody that eats organic yep. uh, limits my meat quantity to a certain amount of time, a, a, a certain amount over the week. You're talking about things, yourself and all those things, but there are going to be times where I don't fit that. Yep. 
When it we're could, on the road, for example. It could be on the road. It could be when I'm with, with other people that don't eat the same way I do. Yep. We make compromises or we do things that are out of our behavior, are out of our core behavior a lot. Yep. And we know that's true because of how many new products go into the world, right? If people always stayed in their steady state, you, we wouldn't need to develop anything. Yep. People would be happy all the time. It, it, yeah, the, the 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 amount of new products that go into a grocery store every year is 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 astronaut like twenty seven thousand new SKUs a year or something like that, and and the reality is is they don't obviously get everywhere and less than a hundred make over you know twenty million. But so if we know people want to change and we know people are willing to try new things, why do so many fail? Because I think they're built on the premise of of again build it and they will come. You know what? We should try orange flavor. We should try grape flavor. We should try, as opposed to understanding what does flavor do to drive them to actually help make progress. And so you start to realize, like at some point, you you have uh, what I call logical incrementalism on a pinhead. It's like, all right, we're gonna have different sizes and different flavors. And and now when I walk to the to the shampoo aisle, there's forty seven thousand things. I, I like. I don't even know how to pick. Like, how do I know which? Like, when do I really have a problem? And half the time. I used to use PERT, and it was one of those things where, like, it went away. I'm like, what do I do now, right? And then you just trial and error. But the fact is, is that parting, trying to be able to understand kind of what the the skew is going to do to help make progress for people is what's most important. People don't want more choice; they want good choice. So, when we when we talk about that, and we talk about how people make their choices and they they go through life, um. When, when doesn't jobs be done work? Well, that's a great question. I think what we found is that it's, it's very hard to describe progress when there is no choice, right? So I always make the comparison between uh, auto insurance and health insurance, right? Because most of the time health insurance is provided by your employer. You, 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 uh, you pick one of them. You don't choose it, Right. And so there's this notion of somebody give you a list of good, better, and best, and you figure out wh- where you are, and you make your you make your choice. But when you do auto insurance, you got to figure out like how far am I driving? You you actually know way more about the details because at some point you 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 can do something about it. But but health insurance does not work that way. And so for me, it's very hard to get people to actually understand when in the world do I actually you know uh, what does my insurance really provide me without them actually paying paying for it or doing something for it and they don't it's when it's given to them it's very hard to jobs is not a tool that will help and i also think uh, one of the things that people often ask us for and there's ways to do it but in the qualitative jobs we done yep. sizing a market yeah. is probably not something you want to do off of the the 10 interviews or so you know no but but here's the thing is once you have the 10 interviews 10 or so interviews you actually understand the underlying, I'll say, 20% of causes that get to 80% of the effects. And from that, then you can actually build a quantitative study to actually start to look at some of those things and be able to say, all right, I can find people who switched or did this to this and understand people's context and then how many people are in that context and actually are dissatisfied, right? And I only bring that up because I think what's important to know about any tool Mm-hmm. Be it jobs be done, be it personas, be it segmentation, mm-hmm. is when when to use it, how to use it, and yep. when not to use it. That's right. Because 
what we often see is people making decisions on per, with personas on things that personas probably shouldn't be used for. So it's not that personas are bad, and I agree with you. I don't think we're not here to tell anybody that any one research methodology is not useful because that I'm just that's not my expertise, right? right? I can't make a judgment on every single piece of thing out there. And any knowledge is good. Yep. As long as you know how to use it. Yep. And you know when to use it. Well, and what I would say is, is uh, quoting Dr. Tushi, there's way more unknown than known. And what you need is multiple ways to look at it. So we, we would never say don't use something or, or things like that. And anybody that, that kind of spouts those things off of this is the only thing to use or this is the best thing, I, I, I don't know how to deal with that because I just don't believe that's the case. I, I believe the case is knowing using tools that work for you, Mm -hmm. but not misusing them. And the one example I give often is we've all been in the situation where we've had a a, a hex screw in the wall, but only had a flat screwdriver. Yep. And we jam that sucker in there. Three times. And we twist it around. And one of two things happens. We damage our screwdriver or we damage the screw. Or we damage the thing around the screw, right? Right. So. But we know, but we know. Well, but the, the whole thing is, I should know what tool to use. Right. And stop misusing tools. I think that's And if right. I just went and got the right screwdriver. The right tool for the right thing, yep. It would be a much easier thing. Agreed. Agreed. Do you want to tell a story? Do you want to, let, let's tell a story of how Jobs We Done came about. Why, why, why did this even come to Bob Mesta's head? Uh, uh, well, let's see. There's a couple, a couple things. One is... Um, it actually all started back in, I'll say, the late 80s when um, I was working with Dr. Taguchi and I was working at Ford and we were talking about things around what we call the functions of systems. And what we what I realized is that in school we were always taught about problems, not necessarily about functions. And it was a very hard thing to basically get across. And so we talked about this notion of like, as you're building a braking system, what's the job that it does? So it was, an, it was a surrogate for basically the function of the system, which is to stop the car, and then how does it work, right? And I would use that language with the development teams I was working with around those kinds of concepts. And and so it started as, what's the job of the system, right? And it's very much on the technical side. It's very deep. It's way beyond the consumer side. You know, they, they don't even know how a brake works. That, they just know they push the thing. That sounds supply side to It me. is all supply side. So it really was born from the supply side. But as the concept, as 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 I got closer and closer to the customer and realized like as I, in developing products, the closer I got to the consu- uh, consumer and customer, I could actually build better product, right? And I wouldn't over-engineer it. And so as I got closer and closer to that, I realized that the function we are talking about, right, we, we would talk about, well, what's, what's the function the customer wants? And then we'd start to actually look at weightings, like what's important. And you started to realize that when you do these importance ratings of what's important to one person and not, you know, it's like somebody would give it a 10 and somebody else would give it a two. And you're like, what is up with that? And you start to realize that all of a sudden context was different of when they would actually value one feature over another or one attribute over another. Ultimately, what happens is, is we, we end up getting to a point where we, can, we, we would see the basic uh, understanding of consumers is not just about who they are and what are their important attributes, but what are they trying to do, right, and, and why they're trying to do it. And so I would, I would uh, in the early days, I would get, you know, a demographic segmentation or psychographic segmentation, and, and I would always go back to 
but why are they actually buying it? What's causing them to say today's the day to do that? And so ultimately, by flipping this over to the supply or the demand side of the world, we were able to actually then start to realize like there's other methods and tools that need to be developed because at some point we need to actually figure out how to fit into people's lives as opposed to pushing our product into people's lives. Right, pull versus push. Can you give a quick example of something not working because of context? Yeah. So I, I always ask uh, people, do you like steak or do you like hot dogs? Right. And yeah, and they're like, well, I like them both. Most people say like, well, not everybody anymore, but I'll say people of my generation. Right. And, and what I would say is, is, but if you take the last time I had hot dogs, right. Right. I have four kids. They play ice hockey. We're running around crazy. It's, it's like the last thing we want to do is come home. They have homework. How do we actually pull dinner together fast enough that everybody we know is going to eat, that we can you know get the homework done and get everything done, right? If I if I if I pull a steak into that situation, it's kind of like it takes too long. I don't know if the kids are all going to eat it. I don't want to waste it. It's very expensive. All those kinds of things. And I talk about a uh, you know a steak situation. It's typically a you know a, a, a has some element of of uh, you know. You did well, reward, um, you know, uh, uh, some accomplishment of some sort or it's, it's you know, treating themselves, whatever it is, right? Taking Usually taking a longer time, making sure you're sitting down, usually doing it with several people, um, enjoying it with other food. Like there's a whole different dynamic around it. And so you start to realize like if I put hot dogs in that situation, it doesn't work either. And so you start to realize that that it's not that people like – steak or they like hot dogs. It's the question of, of when and where do they like steak and hot dogs and why? What is it about those experiences that make it fit? So as we close, I just want to leave that kind of question with the audience, right? I want you to think about a time um, or in the next couple of weeks as you're thinking about this, that you've tried something and it didn't work, but you've had it before and it worked. Why didn't it work? And you'll learn that context uh, possibly location, you know, different things come into that context as location, but different things come into that of why it didn't work for you. Um, context creates value. I, mean, I, I, say think it all the time. Of, I think of like, for me, you know, trying to eat in the car. If you have something chocolate, it's not very good, but chocolate's delicious. Everywhere else. Somewhere else. Right. So it's those types of things. I want you to think about those and think about why it didn't, why it didn't work at that time even though it might have been one of your go-tos at other times. And that helps helps explain jobs we've done it. I, I think the other example to think about is the one you talk about with the refrigerator. Like we the, fridge, the black fridge we have in the back with all the drinks. You want to share that one? That's in the blog. So I'll let them read that when they read about jobs to be done. You got it. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Circuit Breaker podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you know somebody who's stuck on the innovation treadmill, please share it. If you'd like to learn more information, visit us at therewiredgroup.com to find out how we work, how we can help, some resources, some books, some software. Join us next time as we trip the Circuit Breaker to help you recharge, re-energize, and refocus your new product development.